and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Ch This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The Apostle Paul was warning his ministry sidekick, Timothy, telling him about the times that were going to be coming. He said, mark this. In other words, take heed, listen up, Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days, and people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, without love, without self-control, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Sounds an awful lot like what we're experiencing out there in our wild and whirly world today. But could this possibly also apply to those who are caught up in the world of addiction? In the world of addiction, well, you find that those who are addicts become proud, sometimes boastful, lovers of money or whatever money can get so as to be able to buy drugs, lovers of themselves because it's all about me, having no self-control, don't love that which is good, become lovers of pleasure, what dopamine can do to increase their sense of well-being and so on, rather than lovers of God. Well, today on Viewpoint, we have a living account. We have a living story uh, that is going to be shared with you concerning a young man who found himself in that very condition. That's right. Now, interestingly, Jesus made the statement in Matthew chapter 24 concerning the end of the age. He said, but they who endure to the end shall be saved. Now, normally, we understand that to mean those who continue on in their faith, notwithstanding persecution, notwithstanding all of the trials and tribulations, those who continue on will be saved. But what if it could also mean those who continue and continue and continue till God gets their attention shall be saved? Well, that would be an application for our guest today. Michael Hale, with his book, Pursued, he says, God's relentless pursuit and a drug addict's journey to finding purpose. Now, we don't often do interviews concerning uh, people's experiences and so on like this, but today, for some reason, I felt led to do uh, this interview with Michael, and uh, I'm glad that I did. He's joining us from Utah today. Uh, to talk about his experience in drug addiction, how he got into it, the turmoil that it caused in his life, almost nearing death on death's door, and maybe also like an interesting connection how a DUI could lead to delivery, delivery, God's deliverance, by getting his attention. So today on Viewpoint, Michael Hale joining us from Utah. Michael, it's good to have you on the program. 
Chuck, thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful to be here today. Well, I once knew of uh, someone who got caught in a second DUI, uh, tried to run from the police uh, as they flashed their lights behind him. And then as a result of that, it led that uh, young man into a very different pursuit of life. So dramatically different, God got his attention and uh, actually turned his life around so dramatically that now he is involved in a serious uh, professional capacity, being trusted for his wisdom and for his uh, persistence. But it all happened with a DUI. Does that make any connection for you? Did a DUI get used by God to get your attention at all? Are you there? Yes, yes. Sorry, I thought you were asking the audience and not me. No, I'm asking you. (laughs) Okay, my question for you then is which DUI? Because I unfortunately had had two of them. (laughs) Well, that's exactly the point. So did this gentleman that I was talking about. He had two as well. The first one didn't get his attention, but the second one did. You're and dramatically right. so, when you can't drive for six months and you realize you might be facing some traumatic situations running for the police, uh, something should get your attention, but it doesn't always do that. Did it do that for you? Yes, Chuck. I embodied that Bible verse that you just read to us. And my life was so, I was so dead set on destruction, nothing could stop me. And the first DUI was, was my fifth arrest in a, in a series of five months. So I had 12 allegations and I, I ended up getting arrested. Uh, a V squad of cop cars was chasing me <laughs> down center street and I was completely inebriated. I was 16 And I was not allowed to consume alcohol, period, let alone drive on it. And I was a complete and total wreck. And even after that first DUI, my parents showed up at the jail at some awful hour in the morning, 1 or 2 a.m. They showed up to pick up their inebriated child for the, the fifth time that they had to pick me up from the jail. Uh, by that point, I was I was starting to believe maybe our local police station had a little poster with me on it. They think <laughs> Pleasant Grove's most wanted. And, of course, I was... <laughs> uh, I felt like the police were, were getting paid to ruin my life, and I was blaming all my problems on them. And in reality, I was ruining my life, and they were one of the few things that was standing in my way. And my parents just showing me endless love, and all I felt was that I deserved punishment. And I remember going home that night and 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 splitting my wrist. And I, I wasn't suicidal. I, I hadn't premeditated on it. I just felt like such a failure that I, I felt like I needed punishment. Well, you were and in I the just, hot pursuit of pleasure, but pleasure wasn't pursuing you. You were pursuing pleasure, but pleasure wasn't pursuing you. In fact, all the dire consequences of a false pursuit uh, were coming your way, even to the point of uh, 
not just inebriation, but police uh, chasing you down, all these arrests, and then you had to be arrested by God, actually, through a skiing accident. And uh, it's amazing what God will do, the things that he can use to get our attention, isn't it? It is. And all those things I was chasing were so empty. And, And the world told me, this is the good life. And I had it. I had all of it. I was getting paid to party, and I could not have been more empty inside. Paid to party? How did you <laughs> yes. get paid to party? You mean well, you're selling you, drugs? Yes. Yeah, you're selling drugs, so everyone wants to be around you. You're the life of the party. You know all the connections. You're earning money, and you have no responsibility. Mm-mm-mm. Well, we want to find out uh, exactly how you got tied into uh, such a lifestyle, because it certainly didn't start that way. You had some loving parents. Apparently, there was a problem. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Our viewpoint determines our destiny, and our guest's viewpoint today was determining his destiny even to the point of destruction and even the border of death. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking with him concerning his book, Pursued, and uh, if you want to read a a picture, a portrait of a gentleman who uh, was not living the life of a gentleman for a very long period of time, and how he got caught up in uh, the ways of uh, drug addiction and uh, destruction that led to every ever more consequential uh, acts of destruction. Uh, this is the book that uh, is for you, and perhaps for someone you love and care about. $21 will put this book in your hands it's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Michael writes about halfway through his book, Our culture tells us to want sex, pleasure, and instant gratification. Every hit song raves about it. He said, they'll sell you till you're hooked, and then you'll sell yourself. You'll sell your soul. So he said, at some point, I would have to realize that my feelings, instincts, wants, and desires were highly unreliable and unpredictable things to base my well-being upon. I knew they were not capable of satisfying, but I kept letting them call the shots. And more than that, I let my feelings hijack my life like a teen thug committing grand theft auto. Only I was giving them the keys. So, he said, God abandoned me to do whatever shameful things my heart desired. 
course, he was quoting Romans chapter 1 as he saw in retrospect what was happening in his life. He quoted the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, because of a reprobate mind, God abandoned me to do whatever shameful things my heart desired, and as a result, I did vile and degrading things, traded the truth about God for a lie, so I worshipped and served the things of God created instead of the Creator Himself, and that's why God abandoned me to their shameful desires, my shameful desires. But he didn't totally abandon him. Because, Michael, you say that you were pursued by God, yet reading your book through the first half of your book, one would think you're pursuing everything but God, and there was no place for you to even hear or discern that God was around. Yeah, I I don't know why God continued to pursue someone like me. I only cared about myself. I completely discredited him. And of course, that's what our my secular education had trained me to do. But I, I had no respect or regard for him whatsoever. And yet the creator of the universe pursued me, an insignificant speck. He pursued me with unparalleled devotion. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't shake him. And his love, there's this Bible verse in Romans 5, 8 that says, For God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that really is the verse of my life. God loved me when I couldn't even love myself, when I was this despicable mess, when I was overdosing on ketamine and heroin and alcohol, and I was seizing up on the floor. And even that person that I'm ashamed of, God loved him enough to die for. And I often remind myself in this battle, this everyday battle of uh, of life, that if God loved that version of me, then he must still love me now as I'm, as I'm giving him my best, as I'm trying to serve him, as I'm, as I'm waking up and, and seeking him each day. Well, you had uh, a couple of friends. Uh, you called them C.D. and uh, what's your other friend's name? Graham. Yeah, Graham. Yeah, and we it called wasn't him Billy that. Graham either. <laughs> <laughs> no, we called him Graham because he liked to consume substances that came in the form of a gram, so hard drugs. <laughs> so that, that was his, the nickname we gave him. Isn't that something? Well, uh, you said that... Uh, Weed made life remarkable when you were on it, and over time you came to need pot in order to have fun and appreciate life, and when you were not high, life became barely in, barely tolerable. Yet the yeah. interesting thing is that most people would say, well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, weed is not really the gateway drug. Weed is not really that bad. Uh, what say you? Oh, wow. I think that weed is incredibly soul-consuming. I think that it can take control of someone's life extremely easily, especially now that it is socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. 
and now that it's sold uh, legally, I... And when we say weed, you're talking about marijuana. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And it, I, I couldn't function without it. At some point, I had to have it in order to enjoy life. And I kept thinking, this makes life better. But in reality, it robbed me of my ability to appreciate normal life without it, exactly like you're saying. And there's, there, people say, oh, weed's not that addictive while they're addicted to it. And the science says that it causes diverse problems long-term to our dopaminergic system. So over the long-term, it can often lead to depression, to mood disorders, to mental health disorders. And people wonder, people are using it to, they're using it as medicine, Mm -hmm. but in reality, they're making themselves sick. Wow. And more and more dependent. And you said in your book, there's something insidious about the way drugs slowly grab control over your life. Insidious about the way drugs slowly grab control over your life. And I I dare say that the majority of people who get involved in drugs, uh, they don't intend to become addicts. Uh, They don't intend to become uh, totally addicted and start uh, uh, stealing and robbing and lying and cheating and doing whatever they can uh, to get the resources to buy more drugs or to get involved in drug distribution, as you did. Uh, so how is it that you and others around you uh, got into this uh, horrible mess? There are so many factors, Chuck, that play into that. But the first one and the primary one is our culture tells us that life is short. We only get to live it once, so we need to live it while we can. But it never explains how to do that. And so the two most common paths are pleasure, partying, hooking up, drug sex, making yourself feel good, or success. And... um I tried both of those paths and I found them incredibly empty. I found that in both instances, I would set a goal and I would achieve it. And then I would be satisfied for a moment and then I would need more. And it was just fleeting pleasures. It was just this cycle. And eventually I realized I looked like a hamster on a wheel. <laughs> and so That's a it's like, picture. thank you. Yeah. It, and it felt like that. And it's so discouraging because you're running with all your might and you're, you are not accomplishing a thing except with the drug life, the, the harder that I ran that race, the more messed up my life was. So the hurrier you and go, even, the behinder you get. Yes. Yes. Okay. And even people were envious of me, of the life I had, because I had all the girls and all, and all of that, but it was so empty. My soul could not have been more dark, more, more empty. And then I thought success would be a better path in the job and then the master's degree, grad school, the career, the money, the luxury. It was mm-hmm. just as empty. Um, but I, I think we have to address the, the reality of what are we living for? Well, somebody and, might say, well, yeah, I, I bet, I bet his uh, mom and dad were divorced. I bet that he had a bad home life. I bet he had this. I bet he had that. But those weren't the, that's not the case, is it? No, I had the best parents you could imagine. 
they were so loving and kind and supportive and they spoiled me. So maybe their only fault was spoiling <laughs> me too much. Um, they had a hard time punishing me even uh, when maybe they should have. Mm. But it was all, their hearts were so full of love. One of the things that really caught my attention as I uh, read your book is that you said that you were willing to pursue short-term pleasure despite long-term destruction. Yeah. I thought that was one of the most important, one of the most poignant statements. People who get involved in drugs or even the pursuit of uh, freewheeling sex and so on, uh, any other kind of addiction also, uh, they're, they're actually looking for short-term pleasure and willing to sacrifice the future for a short-term pleasure in the present. Yeah, there is this beautiful Bible verse, Chuck, in Second Timothy chapter 2, mm-hmm. verse 22, that says, But keep away from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. And I, that verse, it's saying to keep away from youthful passions, something that's empty, telling us to keep away from something that's empty in order to pursue something that's full. And I think that's something people don't understand about Christianity. They think it's a bunch of arbitrary do's and don'ts, the do's and don'ts. But in reality, it's the God who made us, who knows how we're wired and how we function and what mm-hmm. we need. And he loves us and he designed us. And in, in reality, we might not have a clue what we need or what we want or how to get there or why we keep malfunctioning. But the God who made us does. And he's calling us to, to leave behind, to flee from that thing that's empty, that drains our soul. And he's calling us to pursue something that's full, faithfulness, love, righteousness, and peace. And I think of peace as this wholeness. He's calling us to pursue wholeness and well-being and we do have to leave behind those empty things we can't go anywhere if we're on that hamster wheel that's just self-centered that's all about me and all about what i want and all about my pleasures and desires all right well the bible tells us to flee uh flee temptation uh flee uh, sexual temptation flee all kinds of temptation uh, don't run toward yeah. them. Don't do a dance with them, but flee them. So that being the case, and in your heart of heart, you knew in a sense that embracing the use of weed or uh, some other substance initially, uh, eventually, that it wasn't going to go well. So why did you pursue it? What, what is it that caused you to pursue I think once I had tried it, I couldn't stop. So you That's got some instant reality. pleasure. Yeah. Instant satisfaction. Yes. So, like when, the, so when the uh, Rolling Stones wrote their song, I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried and I tried and I tried. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. Uh, you did get some satisfaction, but it didn't endure. None of it was real. Yeah, and that's, that's got to be what their song is about. No matter how much drugs or sex I have, it is empty. 
it is a black hole in my soul and it's not leading me anywhere. It's interesting. Uh, I'm thinking back uh, and, and I wasn't really into uh, pop culture, music or any other kind of pop culture. But I remember some of these songs because they were so popular. And the Beatles had a the Beatles had a song. By the way, I, I hear they're coming out with an AI version of a republished Beatles song now. But in any event, they came out with a song called "Nowhere Man," and it goes something like this: He's a real nowhere man living in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have the points of view, doesn't know where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Those people, those yeah. four, the so-called, uh, you know, the, the four that said that they were more popular than God were voicing the agony of their own souls. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint, friends. I'm Chuck Christmeyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today is the same way. We're talking about a young man's life. He is now 31 years of age, Michael Hale, uh, with his book, Pursued, God's uh, Relentless Pursuit and a Drug Addict's Journey to Finding Purpose. Not only to finding purpose, but finding salvation. And uh, the book is uh, available on our website, which I think is going to be very encouraging to many, many people. It uh, may just be the tool that God will use to touch someone in your life that you love and haven't been able to reach. Maybe nobody's been able to reach them. Just like Michael, nobody could reach him. Even God seemingly couldn't reach him. But finally, through dire circumstances, he did. The book, $21, is on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, you might think, well, what does this have to do with Save America? Well, Save America is not about saving a political institution or corporation called the United States of America. It's about the people. You know, we the people? That's the America. That 
is the group that we're talking to, along with people in 180 nations that last month actually listened to this program. People are listening. Lives are being changed. There's something about viewpoint, somebody said, that you just cannot listen long and not be changed. You have to make decisions. You have to make decisions. Now, interestingly, if you look across our nation, four of five heroin users started with prescription drugs. That means 80% got hooked on opiates under their doctor's orders. Heroin use has increased 40% each year since 2010. The first decade of the 21st century saw a 400% increase in lethal overdoses. And perhaps the saddest part of all this is that 91% of those who survived an overdose continue to refill their prescriptions to get high again. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, the number of deaths from drug overdoses in our country has increased every year except once since 1999. You think we have a problem? Well, indeed we do, friends. And the more our country is fleeing from God, the more problems that we have. That's the problem. The problem is we are fleeing the very anchor of our soul. And there comes a point where you can't run anymore. Until maybe you actually run into a tree or a rock or maybe a horrific car accident, or maybe an overdose that takes you to a place that you were never expecting to go, not into the presence of your Lord, but into the presence of his arch enemy. Not a pretty picture. Now, our guest today said, I believe that every bit of positive transformation was the result of weed or marijuana in my life. Wow. He came to the place where he believed that every bit of positive transformation was the result of weed in his life. Michael, how did you get to that point? Oh, you know what? Surprisingly, it was easy. It, it almost happened without my consent. It you was once I tried it. the first hit. Yeah, w- once I tried the first hit, I was sold. So it's like getting, getting stepping on the banana peel, and the rest was history. I, <laughs> I feel like naturally, if it, we decline, we, we degrade. We almost naturally go to bad places. It's, it's our flesh. It's, it's very much alive. It's fed by our culture. It's fed by our worldview. We're told uh, to party and pleasure. We're told that pleasure is is something that will satisfy. And in all honesty, I very easily got to that place. Well, you know, uh, this is tough for me. Uh, somebody might say, well, I'm just kind of a hypocrite to do an interview like this. Because the reality is, I never use drugs, ever. 
I never drank a drop of alcohol to my knowledge, never smoked a cigarette. It's just, I mean, that's just my life. I never saw wow. the need, never had the desire. I remember one time when I was, uh, what, about 12 or 13, I saw a cigarette butt somewhere, and I, I picked it up, and I put it to my tongue, and the, the, just the, the taste to my tongue was so gross that I, I, I mean, the whole thing just never, never attracted me. But what I found yeah. was that if you once wow. get involved with a group or a few friends that are going that direction, then you get caught up in their jet stream. Is that yes. what happened to you? Yes, and I just want to say you saved yourself from so much pain because once you let these things into your life, you create a weak spot, and Satan will exploit it for, well, that's for how I the felt, rest you of know, your life. In fact, you know, people say, well, why don't you just have a glass of wine, or why don't you just do this, or why don't you just do that? Well, it's not that there will be anything uniquely evil about doing that, but I know yeah. that it's a gateway for easing yourself into ever more use, and that's where the danger lies. Yes, and right now you don't need it. You're happy. No, I don't need you it. You can enjoy life, and once you let it in, every time you go through a stressful situation or a hard time, you're going to be tempted to lean on that, and it's never a real solution. It just it just numbs you. It numbs the pain very, very slightly, and then it all comes crashing back when, mm, 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 when the buzz mm. is gone. And that's and what so happened to you. It all came crashing back, didn't it? <laughs> repeatedly, yes, repeatedly. Yeah, you, and know, you know, the Bible says that uh, bad associations corrupt good manners. In other words, corrupt your life. Mm -hmm. Well, you've even got a passage right here in your book. Uh, we skip class together. We smoke weed in the mountains, in parks, forests, shrubs, overgrowths, going on adventures, staying out late at night. The cool kids taught me about porn and masturbation, a quick fix of dopamine to send any deprived souls soaring. I had never seen, experienced, or imagined so many forms of instant pleasure and self-gratification. And it all happened as a result of the friends that you gravitated toward. Yes. Yeah, but why did you gravitate toward them? What caused you to do that? Was it peer pressure? What was it? You know, it was a desire to fit in. Mm. I just wanted to be accepted by someone. I grew up in an extremely religious area, mm -hmm. and I couldn't fit in with the predominant religion. I grew up in LDS, Utah. Mm -hmm. I wasn't one. I, I'm still not one. And I, no matter how hard I tried to fit in by being a Boy Scout and by doing all the right things. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought when I was reading your book that you became a Girl Scout. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't. Or the I, girls I, were scouting I, you. <laughs> that was that's more accurate. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Okay, yes. so you don't know whether it was loneliness, uh, social pressure, but you you do know looking back, that you wanted to fit in, you wanted to be liked, you wanted to be accepted, and actually, uh, that seems to be 
the number one motivation why even Christians find themselves drifting away from the words of life and gradually drift away from the call of God to righteousness in their life to do what the world is screaming at them to be part of. I see it every day. So it's not just it's not just the unbelievers, it's the professing believers. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Now, you uh had some experiences toward the end of your book uh that really began to get your attention. Lead us uh, down that path how God in his mercy got your attention. Well, after going through the system so many times, uh, the fines, thousands of dollars of fines, AA meetings, counseling sessions, group counseling sessions, prime for life class, license suspended, randomized drug test, probation officer, and on and on, it just keeps going. And at some point, you feel like you don't even have a life anymore. Well, wait a and... minute. You weren't getting pleasure in going to probation officers? <laughs> they both start uh, with P, so they must have been giving you pleasure, or you wouldn't have kept going to them, right? I just <laughs> couldn't stop. Once you start, it's so hard. Uh-huh. But I, the consequences, they couldn't break through. The arrest couldn't break through. My, my heart was rock hard. And finally, I got that second DUI that you mentioned at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when I was going to court, my parents decided to hire me a lawyer. And this man was a Christian, mm. and he prayed for me, and he spoke into my life, and he said, when I was young, I turned to drugs as well. And they they robbed from me and i just want you to know there's something more and this lawyer stood on my behalf in that courtroom and as he stood there it was a perfect illustration of what jesus does for us he stands there to defend someone who is guilty so you had an advocate with the court, as we will have an advocate with the Father right now. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Hope for a lost soul, lost to drugs, lost to sex, 
lost to the pursuit of everything that is destructive in the pursuit of happiness and uh, pleasure and acceptance. That's the story of our guest here today, Michael Hale, with his book, Pursued, God's Relentless Pursuit and a Drug Addict's Journey to Finding Purpose, and I might add, Peace and Salvation. So, somehow, Michael, you had this Christian lawyer that represented you at the second DUI, and that should have brought the the crashing weight of justice down on you. What happened? A miracle happened, and even though I had smoked multiple bags of weed, and I had smoked weed for six or eight hours straight, just consuming it continually, and when they did the drug test, when I got arrested, it showed up for weed, but they also decided to do a blood test because those are more accurate and they can, they they were confident I was on more drugs than just weed. And so they did that blood test. And by a miracle, it came back as empty. And the only <laughs> thing it showed that I had taken was cough medicine. Oh, my so goodness. So I can't explain it. God erased the evidence that was written in my blood. I was guilty. Oh. I should have been guilty. I had consumed so much. And somehow the the blood test came back negative. That that is pretty amazing because I know how some of this works, and uh, it ain't pretty for somebody that's getting getting involved in a second or third DUI. Uh, it can mess yes. with your life for a very long period of time. You'll end up not driving. You might end up uh, in in a jail or prison for a while. Uh, you might end up killing somebody, and uh, so the mercy of God. Uh, was stretched out toward you. We we can't explain it, uh, but that's what happened. And then somehow you got connected with some Christian folk. How did that happen? Well, the the irony was that I was guilty, and God let me go. And that's Christianity. We're all guilty, and God lets us go. But even after He let me go, I still couldn't get a grip. And so He sent these Christians after me to mm. pursue me. And about how old were you then? That was, I was going to college, so I was about 18 by that point. Okay. So all the arrests started when I was 15, and by the time I was 18, I was thinking, I have to change something. And so I started going to college and pursuing that other path that Mm -hmm. people say will satisfy. And when I went to this college, it was a campus of 35,000 students at the University of Utah, far enough away from a lot of my connections that I could start getting clean. But my first night on campus, I met three Christians. and In Utah? Yes, yes. Yeah, and By the it was way, one of my first encounters. Have, we actually have some great listeners, longtime listeners in Utah, and uh, it's pretty amazing. They tell me continually how difficult it is to live there. Oh, yes. The culture is continually focused on performance. And you always feel like you're falling short. Yeah, and well, you never Mormonism. feel like you can fit in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So but these you, three you born ended again up Christians. going to a Christian camp. And uh, was there a, what was the point at which the Holy Spirit brought you under conviction uh, to 
confess, to come clean before God and abandon uh, this lifestyle that you had developed? It happened in so many steps. And I often think in response to your question, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And I think there are a lot of ways we've maybe denied ourselves. And I know it took me years and years and years to deny myself. And there's still days where I'm a knucklehead. But I think there's some areas where we, where we fail to pick up our cross or we fail to die to ourselves and say, okay, Jesus, I realize this is empty and you're the only thing that satisfies and you love me to the core and you're everything I need. And that process took a long, long time. All right. But then and, you come to the moment of truth what I call the moment yes. of truth in the valley of decision, on a cliff face. How okay, did you that get on very... a cliff face where your sister cried out to you, there's help, Mike, help is coming. I highlighted those words. I thought maybe I should even call this program, there's help, Mike, help is coming. How did that happen? <laughs> what what was going on there? Oh, I was snowboarding in the back country. I smashed into a boulder, flipped through the air about two and a half times before landing. And when I landed, my my leg was torn uh, and it was dislocated from the rest of my body. My femur mm-hmm. bone had cut diagonally in half. It was like there was two spears of bone inside my leg. And when I tried to stand up, uh, the bone it jolted upwards shredding my muscle, my bone, my bone obviously is broken, my ligaments, my tendons, they were all getting torn inside my leg. And I just screamed like death. All right. Well, you were crying out, but you weren't crying to God at that point, were you? Just screaming because of the pain. Just screaming. I'd never experienced anything like it. I'd broken multiple bones before. They were one or two on the pain scale. This was 10, Mm. 100 this is a hundred on a scale of one mm-hmm. to 10. I would rather die than face that again. And in fact, I thought I was dying and my sister was shaking me, telling me, calm down, calm down. And finally I just prayed and I looked up to heaven and I, I just said, God, I believe that if you want to, you could save me. But if not, thank you for my life. And my life literally flashed before my eyes. I saw all the stupid things I'd done, all the selfish things I'd done. And within 30 seconds of praying that prayer for help, I see two white crosses bathed in a background of red Hmm. descending down the cliff face towards me. And it was two ski patrol. And they just happened to have a one-hour break. And they said, well, we have just enough time to go back country. And which was praise, praise the good Lord, because we didn't have cell phone service. We're trying to call 911, trying to call for help, but there was no service. So that was God's mercy again, uh, Again. preparing in advance uh, that you were going to uh, be in a life or death situation in immense pain. And this may be your last opportunity to uh, embrace Christ as your Savior. Yes. Yes, and my Christian friends had texted me a verse that morning, and it said, Jesus will be the strength in your weakness. Mm. And I just remembered that 
as I was sitting there confident I was dying, confident I was going to meet him soon. And I just prayed that I just prayed the name of Jesus, just trusting he would he would he would show up. He would give me strength. And as I sat there, all I could do was mumble the name of Jesus because every time I said his name, he lifted the pain just enough to, to help me know I was going to survive through it. And the ski patrol thought I was a lunatic because all I could do was say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. But I cried out to him and, and his name had power. And, and as I faded in and out of consciousness, he held me in his arms. And I, I just realized the God I'd lived in defiance of was real. And he wasn't a pile of bricks. And he wasn't a set of outdated rules. He was my creator. He made me. He put me on this planet. I didn't come from a bomb. I'm, my life's not a cosmic mishap. I'm not just a sophisticated monkey. I finally realized God put me here. My life has a purpose. And he loves me. And he held me together through that whole accident. And if there's anyone he could have let die, it was me. And he didn't. Mm. Well, you know, the scripture says, in fact, God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. A lot of people say, well, it's just God chasing you down. No, it's not, uh, because there comes a point where we need to draw near to him. And he gave you every merciful opportunity. And finally, finally on the edge of a cliff, with your body all broken and racked with pain, You received his message. You heard his voice saying, Son, I've been pursuing you. I want you to follow me. So the question is, are you following him, Mike? Every day I wake up and I turn to him and I pray and I read his word. And every day he he still loves me. He's still there. And sometimes I wonder why, because I'm so far from perfect. And Well, the scripture says that uh, uh, his grace is sufficient for us because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And uh, yes. if you have ever had any tendency toward addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol or sex, uh, pornography, it doesn't matter. They say pornography is like heroin. It does the same thing to your mind and your, your, your body. All of these things get a grip on your mind, your heart, your physical being, your emotions, your will, which means that anyone who has once been subject to any of these kinds of addictions is going to have to seek the Lord with a whole heart, is going to have to pursue him diligently, is going to have to trust him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, is going to have to flee every possible advance that would come their way to seduce them back into the addiction. Do you feel that to be an accurate statement? Absolutely. It is a battle. It is a war field. We have an enemy who wants to destroy our soul. But even more than that, we have our flesh that is that 
is bent on corruption. Mm -hmm. And if we have a past of addiction and we've trained ourselves to give in to it and we have to learn new habits and we have to learn to trust in our God and we have to learn to let our, let him redefine us to base our identity on him instead of our actions and our performance. We got to trust the verses that say, I have forever made perfect those whom I'm making holy that he, he's remade us. He behold, the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He changes us. He changes us from the inside out. He does what we can't do. And then that continues from glory to glory. And uh, yeah, that's if we abide. <laughs> if you abide. That's the biggest little word of the Bible. The word if. And nobody wants to read it. Pastors don't want to read it. The word if. That is the fulcrum word of walking with the Lord in the light of his word. If we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey, no matter what your background, no matter what addictions you might have had, no matter what uh, disease, no matter what uh, sin, he is the deliverer from all. He is. And he'll walk with you and talk with you but you have to be willing to walk with him. If you walk with the world, if you're continuing to be seduced and addicted by the spirit of this age, by the culture that's screaming at you through its music and through uh, uh, the ads and all the things that are out there, you will be seduced. You will. Michael, thanks so much for joining us here on Viewpoint today. I trust that uh, your testimony will be of help to, to someone out there who has been struggling. It could be a young person. It could be an adult. It could be somebody uh, uh, in their 60s. We don't know. But we all I know sure hope so. that God is seeking us to follow him with a whole heart pursuit. That's the book, friends. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. And uh, I urge you to become a partner with us. We're discipling for destiny. Yes, right here, even today. Become a partner. Send those gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it via the website, saveus.org. Write to us. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. And pray for Michael that he will stand and having done enough to stand to continue to stand. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.